Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. Welcome once again to another exciting episode. Jim, what do we have on tap today? We have an amazing guest. We have Thomas of Hermit's Mirror. Yes. Thomas is a tarot coach, the creator of Lifeline Tarot and the Lifeline Lenoracle decks, the author of Tarot Tableau, a guide to transforming your tarot readings through Lenormand Cartomancy. Mm-hmm. He is an amazing human who I got to interview on my Mediumistic series on Instagram. I am so thrilled that he's here. Welcome, Thomas, to Knit a Spell. Woohoo! Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited hey. to be here. I knew we needed to have you on as a guest as soon as I saw your beautiful tarot and Lenorical decks that Jim had. Uh, literally saw them right away and was like, oh, now that's a deck for someone who's perhaps not a beginner, but like anyone who knows a little bit about tarot is going to be super inspired by the artwork. It is wonderful. Well, I think it's also the Hermit's Mirror and the Light from Lantern connection, right, Katie? Yes, that is my other burning, burning question. So (laughs) obviously, I also have a lantern in my logo situation, which was like a whole struggle when I was developing the brand and whatnot. So I'm curious uh, how and why and and whatnot you also chose the lantern for yours. Yeah, so uh, the name Hermit's Mirror comes from uh, the Hermit card and the Moon card which are both numerological nine, which is my life path and my destiny path, if you know numerology. And so both of those cards shine light in the darkness. And the sort of tarot work that I tend to do focuses more on shadow work and bringing out or awakening. That's sort of my most recent work uh, is about like bringing out that light and that that source of energy. And so the lantern seemed very fitting. That said, I may be changing my logo next year. I'm not sure. Um, but it has the lantern sort of is the the crux of both the hermit and the moon for me. I don't really care about the, you know, the old man in a cloak, uh, yeah. but it's the light that he carries. That is exactly why I also wanted to do that. I'm also a life path nine, which is funny. I've never met another Beautiful. nine so far. <laughs> so hello. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. I same with like the whole knitting thing. I was like, oh, I want to teach people certain things. I want to show them how to incorporate magical things into their knitting since it's already so meditative. Shine light on that. Show them the way. What better way to do that than the literal lantern? So, Well, and so what's funny, you're a Virgo as well. Uh, That's correct. As well, excuse me. Uh, and so I didn't realize that I was a Virgo moon at the time. I had the wrong birth time until February of this year and it changed my moon sign from Leo Virgo and my rising sign back, you know, I got the Leo back and the rising Mm. sign when that changed. Um, And so the Virgo moon was like, so on point, it was a little scary. Yeah, (laughs) the hermit and the moon uh, coming together. So meant to be. Yeah, yeah, it was. So we have that Virgo connection too. we sure do. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. 
Uh, do you have also more ideas and things that you like obsess about than you could possibly do in one day? It's just like, oh yeah, list making, I, list making, list making. <laughs> uh, I in fact have. Oh, well, it's not in this room, but <laughs> I have a list of all of the things that I want to work on because I normally keep it in a notes in my computer or my phone, and uh, I just lose it constantly. And like I have to search for it, and mm-hmm. know, it feels outdated by the time I get back to it. So now I have it written on paper, and I actually have divined into each of the ideas and said like okay this is like this card is i'm associating with this project like i'm not going to work on it now i'm going to work on this thing and this thing and this thing because otherwise it's just totally overwhelming and the stuff that i you know will never get to or that doesn't come back around i realize probably isn't so important um but i Mm. I have a hard time letting go (laughs) i i feel you there oh my gosh that is a brilliant way to use the cards. And again, something I think I'm going to put into play since we have that <laughs> little uh, quality yeah. in common. <laughs> it's so again, cool. it's a decision-making tool. You don't always uh, put together how you could use it in like everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, so the interesting thing about your lifeline theme here is that in knitting, a lifeline is like the the saving grace of your potential knitting disaster. Um, it's used in like uh, lace work or something really fancy or maybe something you're not exactly sure about and you might know ahead of time you're going to take it down a little bit. But um, essentially you just thread a literal lifeline, just a scrap of yarn through the stitches you're currently working in. And then you would mark it like, oh, I'm on this part of the repeat or something so that maybe halfway up the next one you go, oh, no. It's gone terribly awry, and uh, it's not so easy just to unpick it uh, one stitch at a time. So you just rip it back down to the lifeline, and everything there is, like, setting, waiting for you. It's just like, oh, it's so nice. It's a good, good connotation in knitting. (laughs) Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I was not aware of that. See? It was meant to be. Actually, it's funny because looking at the art, I even thought, gosh, it kind of looks like yarn. Like, if you just sort of threw it from a ball and (laughs) looks like yarn even one of the cards i thought oh i think this is me he drew me in this it's it's uh the muse maybe with like essentially carrying maybe two balls of yarn in like a flame glory i was like oh yeah i I love this card. i love that the muse (laughs) is you uh yeah the um i hadn't realized the string thread connection uh, at first until someone brought it up and i wrap all of my decks at least the ones that i you know Currently, I'm delivering them all myself or shipping them all myself. I wrap all of them in consecrated string. So mm. the, um, there is like a literal string that holds them together. But yeah, thread is very important That's in my one. own work. Yeah, That's really funny. I actually kept your string because I was like, oh, I'm going to do not magic with this. It's really nice. So maybe <laughs> I just I just knew. I don't know. It's funny. Yes, it's that is the card. So if you're watching our YouTube, I'm holding up an example of um, the Lifeline Tarot. And so this is one of the two extra cards that Thomas has drawn. So will you describe for everyone, Thomas, the cards? How are these cards? So for people who are just listening and aren't aren't seeing the visual, mm. give us a description of the Lifeline Tarot and how um, they're the same or different from tarot cards people might be familiar with. And That's these it. two extra cards, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the Lifeline Tarot takes the sort of classic imagery of Pamela Coleman Smith's uh, illustrations for the rider or the weight or the Smithweight Tarot, however you want to rebrand it now. Uh, and it strips it down to a single line. So 
I call it single line-ish because I did take my stylus off of the digital surface while I was drawing it, but I always put it back <laughs> where it belonged mm. um, because those who have done digital work will know, you know, you often get stray marks. Um, mm. And if you want to undo them, if you undo a single line, the whole thing goes away. Uh, so I did Z, that no. one too many times. Yep. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to lose my mind if I keep doing this to myself. So I figured yes. I would fudge a little bit, but it's um, single line drawings. that sort of abstract, messy, uh, thing that you probably did in elementary school uh, at one point to try to tap into your uh, I think the right side of your brain mm. the, the the more creative intuitive side and so um, it invites you to fill in the missing pieces because there are a lot of gaps um, especially in the minor arcana you have uh, very few of the figures you just have sort of the implements themselves and maybe a hint of the scene that's going on there in the original illustrations um, and so you're invited to like step into that world and look around and say like, well, what's missing? How does this feel? Or like to actually get into the the moment and what do I, what do I notice? What do I take away? And then the benefit is that sort of mess that you described, Katie, of the yarn being <laughs> tossed and dropped to see where it lands. There are a lot of patterns that are created unintentionally um, that allow your mind to to scry, which is a form of divination that I sort of accidentally learned as a little kid. Oh, sometimes you just got to fall into it like that is meant to be, right? Yeah. Um, so a couple of the cards I looked at and I was like, oh, like totally different meanings just by what was left out. One of which is, of course, me. I always go after <laughs> 9 and 13. That's my birth date. It's like the numbers that follow me everywhere. So I'm like hermit and death. It's like the same card. And if you put these two next to, well, especially death, it, there's no like, you know, skeletal element in there. And in fact, it just looks like um, like a night card without a face. He's just a, an empty uh, like shell. And I just loved that. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, you know, like it kind of gave me a whole new meeting um, around the night cards too. I thought, oh, it kind of has like a similar energy I never really picked up on. So mm -hmm. having, having, not having all of the imagery of the things I quote expect to see, just like you said, it really opens up new meanings because your brain isn't bored by what it is expecting to see. So yeah, all new meanings. I, I just so highly recommend this deck. And I really love that you made all the pip cards, actual playing cards too. You can take out <laughs> yeah. all the major arcana and still use them as playing cards. I've been doing that too. And again, what a fun way to use them as divination. An mm -hmm. actual playing card, duh! Like that's what they were, and so yeah, it's it, it's been very mind blowing. Again, my weekend this weekend, what weekend? It's going to be cards. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's very exciting. That's the best way to spend the weekend. Yeah, I agree. So, so you so. added two cards to the deck. <clears throat> you have this one, which is the Muse. This is what Katie said. Um, <laughs> looks like Katie with two balls of yarn hanging down from her hands, right? That's how Katie interpreted it. <laughs> yep. Sort of these, they're either angel wings or maybe they're flames or who knows what they are, right? This is a really great card to just sort of like make imagination on what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, really so a cool muse, card. Yeah, the muse is one of uh, two. The other one is the labyrinth. Um, yeah, and so I, that's, here's the labyrinth, which is a lot more clear, mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, that's a labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people, if they um, haven't downloaded the guide, because it doesn't come with a paper 
booklet. I am looking at getting some mini paper booklets printed so that I can slide those in the remaining decks. Um, but if they haven't looked up the, the free digital guide online, um, they're like, what is this card? It's just MS. Like, I don't, what does that stand for? Because um, there are no vowels on mm-hmm. the cards either. And the in that case, the muse is sort of lacking um, without her vowels. But uh, she was inspired by an illustration that I did, um, I think in, I don't know, summer of 2020 or something um, for an archetype Oracle deck that I haven't gotten very far on, to be honest. Uh, but she was sort of the translation of the Empress, I want to say. Mm. Um, and so I was taking some of my favorite tarot cards, translating their shapes into new archetypes um, or sort of like tangential archetypes, non obvious ones. Uh, so that illustration is inspired by the Empress in the Muse tarot. Um, and originally she was going to be the mirror mage. So what she's actually holding are two black obsidian mirrors in the original drawing, but you know, in this sort of abstraction, it could be anything. Um, and then uh, I, it wasn't feeling right. Like I was like, hmm, it's sort of forest. I don't love it. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, the Empress sort of like elevated or taken down a tangent becomes the muse. And I was like, oh, duh, this is from the muse tarot. How did I not think of that? So uh you can find that image way back in my feed um on instagram so the muse is all um the muse and the labyrinth are sort of two different contrasting elements that i think are really helpful when reading tarot so the muse is um sort of like a spirit guide sort of like your personal guardian angel but she's really inside of you um, and she's a sign that you have everything that you already need at your disposal and you can look to external sources for validation but you don't need to sort of like she is the sign that things are like where they need to be mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um and a, a card of personal empowerment the labyrinth on the other hand is like things may look like a mess <laughs> right now uh but you know if you just take that sort of higher perspective and look down from above you'll actually be able to find your way out fairly easily so they one is the like you know true internal power and then the other is like okay we need to remove ourselves and get much more external to see the full picture um, and the labyrinth, uh, I don't know if it was intentional or not. When I planned it, I sort of realized it in the in the process. But in the the myth of the labyrinth, they find their way out with a string. So, oh my gosh! Wow, <laughs> with a string. That's so funny. There's so many connections. Yeah, and it was. That, I promise that that was not intentional because, as I said, <laughs> it was only after someone later told me like, "Oh, this reminds me of string." I was like, "Duh, that the." That's part of my work. Why did I not intentionally think of that? But mm. I'm sort of glad it was accidental. Yeah. See, again, it was just meant to be a good synchronicity to let you know you're on the right path, I guess. And yeah. it's, again, the muse is funny. I'm like, I've never lacked a self-confidence, I guess, or something. So I remember thinking this morning, like, oh, this card is me. And then thinking like, oh, my God, I have some balls to think like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's me. You know, like, oh, oh this is, come on. But I guess that makes sense. If it's your personal empowerment, then there you go. I'm just embracing it, perhaps. Well, it's what <laughs> Thomas just said is that that card is you. The muse is in you, right? Exactly. So you intuited that. What's interesting to me, I'm curious your reflection on this, Thomas, I think that symbolism, you know that something is truly a symbol because the more that you look at it, the more meaning, the more that it produces meaning, the more synchronicities it can it can sort of generate, the more that 
you know, it, it continues to produce more and more and more for us. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is you're talking about how your symbols, the symbols that you've produced seem to be, you know, you said you use some scrying, you, you know, are, are using sort of spiritual sort of, you know, channeling in some way. I don't think you use those words, but it appears that you were letting sort of spirit work through you in some of the creative process here. And they, these symbols continue to provide more meaning and more um, information as it goes. Do you, what do you think are the nature of a symbol and what is your experience with this? Are you finding more in the decks that you've created from when you created them? Do they still deliver for you? Oh yeah. I mean, they definitely do. <laughs> um, and I, so one of the things that I sort of added as a bonus for those who are into this sort of thing on the lifeline tarot um, on one of the flaps of the inner, an inner flap of the tuck box, there's a little symbol. Um, it sort of looks like a jester or like a weird little devilly guy, um, but it's a sigil. Um, and so I invite people to sort of write over that if they want to like empower or imbue the deck with the intentions that I set for it to be used with good intentions for sort of like uh, being able to work goodness and, you know, be prosperous and however you define that term for yourself as a result, like that it will give back to you as you give to others. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have sort of scribed or not scribed, uh, drawn back over that in my own deck. And I do sort of try to re-imbue it uh, so that it always stays powerful and relevant to me. Mm. Um, but as far as the actual symbols there are definitely some that uh, seem more prevalent at different times and I think one of the things about symbols is that you notice them more when they're you know relevant to you in that moment so um, for example like behind me I have a bunch of like sunset sunrise moon set moonrise whatever they are sorts of images uh, which I didn't really realize until I saw (laughs) saw them on camera Um, but that that has been very important for where I am right now and my recent move to like a desert climate where I see the sunrise and the sunset every morning and every evening because there aren't really any clouds. Um, and so like for me, those those symbols tend to appear when they're necessary, whereas other ones that may have been like your go-to for a long time, it's okay if they go away because you don't need them right then. And when you do, they'll come back. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I mean, not to make it like a mundane relation here, but like when you're car shopping, suddenly it's like, oh, I see your car commercials, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so for people it's who cool. are, you know, like artistic in, in this kind of way, they don't, they're not always seen as being, quote, valued. What do you say to artists who, need to find some self-confidence in what they have to offer and who have this kind of mindset as someone who is following their artistic dream and actually making things happen. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the big thing about it for that I think held me back for a while was fear. Um, so I actually was trained artistically and then just put it aside. Cause I was like, well, I'll never make a living off of that. Uh, and then um, this project, I didn't really want to put out because it, it felt very derivative. As it turned out, there were no single line tarot decks. So I like filled a niche that I didn't know was missing. Uh, but uh, I didn't want to do it at first. And then a friend of mine suggested like, oh, why don't you just finish it for you? And then if folks are interested in it, they can order it or they can pre-order it. And then you can see 
sort of like how it feels when you're done. And so it was that push to say like, you know what, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything as long as you're enjoying the process and it feels meaningful along the way. And then if it happens to be something that you want to place monetary value on, like see if that works out and it's sort of like in alignment with what you're trying to do. And, you know, maybe there's a market for it. And if not, for me personally, I didn't like invest years and years in the creation of this deck because it is fairly quick art. Um, but I think, you know, just, I think a lot of us fear the rejection, particularly if you're more sensitive or open to, you know, if you've been like bullied as a kid or you've sort of been devalued in some way. Um, and so that fear just holds us back from so much. Hmm. And there are good survival reasons that we may have developed over the years, but at the same time, like I think in this day and age, if you, you know, there's so many like strange beliefs that people have and have no shame in sharing. And so uh, why not make beautiful art, right? And do something that like moves you and is um, an inner, ex like the expression of something that you can't do in any other way. And if you make money off it, great. If you don't, hopefully you enjoyed the process. And if not, then, you know, find a different way of expressing that, that you will enjoy. That is such wise mm -hmm. advice. In fact, I have a friend who is an amazing artist. And occasionally, she will open her personal business for commissions and things. And she would sometimes share her progress over Instagram stories. And she would get comments from people that said, Oh, well, you do it so too quick. You do it so quick. Like it's, it's, there's no value because you do it too quick. And I said to her, Well, but you're just really good at it. So you can do it well quickly. Like, what, what? So I'm sort of curious on what your take on that is. Like, it's none of their business how long it takes you, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. So, and that is one of the things. Uh, like, when I was first being interviewed about the deck by a friend of mine, I told him, how short it took me and he's like what that's like how is that possible so I did sort of feel bad about charging like you know I had 25 dollars or so for the deck uh, because it was a relatively short amount of time to create it but that's also why it's relatively cheap uh, for an indie deck at least and I think uh, you know if the the speed itself can carry a lot of value like for folks who really resonate with the deck one of the things that they love about it is just like the instant um, sort of like the instant kapow of it, right? Like it will often just hit you or you will like sense energy coming out of it. Like a lot of people hear things in the images, even though obviously they're not like saying anything uh, or they will like get a sense of movement in the images because it was done so quickly that energy can carry it with you. I mean, I, that may not relate to your friend's um, particular form of artwork, but I think that there can be value even in um, the process if it's, fast or if it's slow right like it carries that energy with it mm. um and i think you know as a culture we tend to overvalue challenge <laughs> like, yes absolutely i mean like if something is hard that doesn't make it good like it mm -hmm. just may be hard for you and that's great that you want to challenge yourself and like push yourself to overcome something that may feel like a weakness to you and you want to like give it your all um but depending on what you're doing that may not be like the best trade-off and as someone who you know we were talking about Virgo right like you have that perfectionism mm -hmm. all three of us have that <laughs> yes uh you know like I spend hours and hours like 
tweaking things in my uh, book designs that literally no one will ever see. Like it is not a good use of time, but it does like it is important for me. <laughs> yes, totally. So I trade that I think we can all feel that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ouch. <laughs> I feel that. Okay. Let me, I mean, I think the thing that's really important that I am super um, aware of is the years of practice and th- that it's taken me to get to the point where something becomes easy. Because I can say that I can read someone's palm. I can read anyone's palm. In the, It doesn't matter who. I am no longer at a point where I'm intimidated, no matter who it is. The president of the United States, the queen of England will be no different for me in reading their palm from anyone else in the world. Like seriously, like it can be the person who I admire the most, like my most favorite celebrity or my most favorite, you know, it doesn't matter. I can read their palm and it doesn't bother me. And it's it's really effortless to read someone's palm. It's like the easiest thing I I do in my life. And it's the thing that I charge the most to do. And that is exactly kind of the thing that you're talking about, Thomas, is, wow, how that feels really weird to have the thing that's the easiest for me to do to be the thing that I charge the most for. But I also am forgetting It's 35 years of practice, of study, of experience. It's like my entire life's work being put into that. Your ability to do those lifeline drawings is a whole bunch of actual formal training in art of an entire lifetime of artistic expression and magical training and study of the Tarot, right? And digital and think, drawing skills. Just throwing oh, right. Because every because <laughs> Adobe Illustrator is actually really easy to learn just in three seconds, right? <laughs> yeah. Learning is, I mean, if that's what you were using, Illustrator is by itself a whole thing to learn that takes years, right? Mm-hmm. It drives me crazy. Or maybe you're using some other program, but whatever that is, it's like, oh my gosh. So I think that's the thing that I think a lot of people, a lot of artists, we ourselves forget to value the years of training and work that has made what we're doing quote easy or fast. But I wonder what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I think, um, so I actually just thought of, uh, someone commissioned me to do a rather large painting. And so I ended up charging them, you know, essentially the materials and what I thought was like a good hourly rate. And it wasn't, my best work. And I charged more for it because it took longer because it was sort of a slog to get through, Um, you know, similar to maybe Katie, um, actually different from (laughs) the examples that you were talking about, Katie, with your friend, but like, just because it took longer doesn't mean that it was better at the end of the day. I mean, there may have been more technical finesse in some of it, right? Because that craft can take time depending on the technique. Um, But, you know, some of the things that I just like, give to my friends that are made from the heart and just have like so much more in them. Like, I don't know, there's something intangible that can be carried with the art. It doesn't have to be. Um, But I do think that that, you know, when you're in the moment of the moment of genius, right, where like all time goes away, you don't really think about like logging hours on a clock. Like it may feel really easy. And as if you shouldn't be rewarded for that, but it's, it's because you're doing the right thing, you're doing it the right way. And 
it's all sort of like working out for the best and you shouldn't punish yourself for that. Mm. So, but, yeah. uh, and I think like in the case of, you know, when you can just sort of like instantly look at a hand and you don't have to go step by step by step by step and take an hour and a half or something to read someone's hand, you can just very instantly see all of the important things. I'm guessing, I'm not sure that's how it works for you, but we're like, we can lie to the client and say like, oh, I need to spend like hours doing this thing or just say like, you're going to get the same information that you need at the end of this. It's, I'm just not going to waste your time in the like delivery of it in that case. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yes. And knitting is the same way. I mean, like I could look at anybody's knitting project no matter what they're working on, even if I don't know what it is. And I, if they're like, oh, I messed something up, I could fix it. And like, I have no fear of it. I can just like knit it, stop, throw it on the couch. Like people are like, oh my gosh, you're going to drop the stitch. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? So yeah, you're right. It's you, you start to write off what becomes comfortable. Um, but it's not comfortable for most people, which is why it's a valued skill. So yeah, that's a great thing to keep in, in mind, Jim. Um, and you're right. I think having like a quick energy of something sometimes is your best work. You just have to like jump into the flow of it sometimes, whether it's, you know, a quick drawing of something that inspires you or you're like, oh, I got to knit this hat real quick because I saw some yarn that I was like, oh, suddenly I know this design that it's going to be. So, um, yeah, it's all about kind of leaning into your medium of choice. Very interesting. So cool. Mm. So you were just talking, Thomas, about giving gifts, like you're making something for a friend. How do we gift things that are good enough to offer others? Or really, I'm curious about like, how can magic be gifted? Um, I think it depends on the recipient. So there's some people who like things and there's some people who like experiences. Um, For me, I like to um, do things that people, I mean, so I should say the way that I think magic works, even something like the sigil that I was mentioning earlier, like you have to, someone can't just give that to you. (laughs) You have to participate in the creation of it in order for it to work. And so gifting them something, um, that they can actually participate in, I think is really valuable. So, um, I know Katie, you have some things along this line, uh, related to making, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm excited to hear more about, um, but something like that, where you are essentially either giving them the ingredients or it's like 90% done. And then they just have to sort of like finish it off. Um, that can be really powerful to me if it's something like magical. Um, because if I just give them the thing, then personally, I worry that like, I'm now controlling the intentions of it. And that's, that's not how I think magic should be used. And so by letting them finish it off or like the sigil, draw over it, um, recreate it for themselves, like that gives them the control of how it actually functions for them. And I think that that's sort of, for me, that's like an important ethical line. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Great thing to consider. Yeah. Certainly making the gift uh, usable or appropriate for the person is awesome. Very similar to like your tarot cards, giving them to someone who's like brand new beginner, just trying to learn maybe a little bit more difficult. However, it also could be quite inspiring, uh, much like our fearless episode where we talked about how if you don't know anything and you don't know what you don't know, you might actually get a lot more (laughs) out of it. So. Just depends on the personality type, I suppose. So, <laughs> yeah, if they have a learning mindset, they could get a lot out of that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was just teaching um, my niece tarot the other day, and she's like already picking it up so well that I feel like she easily could have picked up something like this and been like, oh yeah, no problem. Katie, how do you think magic can be gifted? So for the making side of things, obviously it's, it's a little different in my mind. Making things isn't always the best way to use, I think, your making magical talents because you can become easily overloaded with generosity, like, oh, I want to make a hat for this person and that person and this person, and oh, now they're asking for this and that. And and then suddenly this beautiful gift you wanted to offer with your energy becomes like, <gasps> you know, like a burden and what you might be putting into it isn't great and who knows if they get done and then that could be weighing on you and the other person for who mm-hmm. knows how long. And so it's, I think, important to learn your boundaries when it comes to your magical making capabilities. Mm-hmm. And then, like for me, I would offer a lottery for the family. Like if you want a handmade item for me this year, put it all in the basket and I'll choose two and I'll just take those out. And the next year I'll choose two from who's remaining until I'm done and we can put them all back if you want. And then we're all cool. So I think um, putting some some boundaries of what, around what you can and want to give around a season that's already very taking <laughs> is really important. Yeah, that's cool. We have a tradition of um, at our Yuletide, everyone brings a small handmade item. Um it doesn't have to be, it can also be a magical item, but if it's one small handmade item and everyone brings one and then we sort of, it's a divinatory thing where someone is the sort of Santa character and just reaches into under, into the pile and it just goes to whoever like it randomly goes to. And it's really amazing how it ends up working out. Right. Mm -hmm. And because they're all handmade, you know, you just get to make one, but then everyone gets something unique or interesting. That's a really fun way to sort of like use a divinatory process, you know, it's, or just the luck of the draw really is what it is. Mm. And you just end up with something sort of magical and handmade from someone. And uh, then you, everyone only needs to make one thing. So that's a really kind of a fun way we do it with our uh, magical group. And I know that a lot of families that are big do that, like draw a name so that we don't end up with like having to buy 13, everyone buys 13 gifts for all the 13 people. And then you're like, ah, mm-hmm. right. 13 things to throw away. <laughs> yeah. One of the nice things about that is that then they get the thing and the experience because the experience of the divining, the experience of watching someone else receive the thing, you know, as a surprise, the experience of like, oh, who's going to get this, right? All of that is in itself a gift. And I think for a lot of us, like what, you know, opening the gift is like half of the gift. The thing may be good or may be bad. It, it almost doesn't matter. It's sort of like, oh, what what fun surprise is in this? And if you, even if you're not the one opening it, you know, you get to experience that vicariously a little bit. That's right. And we do wait for each person to open it before the next person gets it. So it is kind of like that fun of like, you know, kind of like when you do the white elephant and there's always that Mm -hmm. gag gift or that silly gift and you get to laugh about that, you know, foam wax unicorn candle that always ends up back (laughs) in the office pool every year that everyone is like, oh no, (laughs) until it's popular. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think we have a lot to talk about in our second half. Mm -hmm. So Let's take a little break. And when we come back, let's talk a lot about 
the gift of experiences and readings and the magic of avoiding the supply chain backup because we have some hints for the magic of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stick around. We'll be right back. It's the season for giving. I love the idea that people should give a pattern from Light from Lantern, download a pattern from Ravelry, Mm. wrap it up with a beautiful skein of yarn. That would be such a great gift under the Christmas tree or the holiday tree or the, or the Hanukkah menorah or whatever holiday you're celebrating. Yes. (laughs) Not too close to the old log. Don't burn it. Wouldn't it be a cool uh, gift to give? You can find all of Light from Lantern's patterns on Ravelry. You can find links to all of those at lightfromlantern.com or you can follow her on Instagram at lightfromlantern. Subscribe to her newsletter. Mm. Super awesome. Yes. So do that. Uh, I also know of a great gift that you can give that is never out of stock, and that is a digital gift card uh, of a hand reading, divine hand reading from one amazing James Divine. Yes. True. You can do this at thedivinehand.com. Follow along on his Instagram, Divine Hand Jim. And if you haven't signed up for his newsletter at this point, you're missing out on all sorts of amazing mudras, helpful hints and tips to get you through the holiday season, and maybe even like a super exciting exclusive discount on an upcoming class or course that we don't even know about yet. So don't miss out. And we're back. So in this half, I'm particularly interested in the idea of gifting readings, because I do see it as a form of art. And uh, as someone who is going back home for the holiday season, I kind of think having especially like your Lenorical cards, which are kind of like a little bit more subtle might be fun ways for me to offer readings to folks who may be a little more intimidated of the tarot deck. So I'm kind of curious what your feedback is on that. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I wanted to do sort of standard playing cards is for that like stealth aspect. Mm. (laughs) So if you essentially got rid of the box, you know, you would just have a deck of cards that no one knew what was going on with them other than you. Um, And, you know, and you can sort of do tarot readings with playing cards. um, But I thought, why not just do the playing cards as playing cards? You know, you can do those readings or you have these little symbols that remind you of either the Lenormand um, interpretation or the related but different Oracle interpretation. And so, you know, you get to do like a little stealth read for them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not into it, then you're just playing cards. There you go. Yeah, I love that. And again, they're just, I love that they're red and blue and not the black. I mean, there's black in like the line drawings and everything. But um, and you did mention it in your book. You're totally right. It gives it a much more friendly feel almost like for me, black and red is like, um, or like early 2000s hot topic clothes. So I have like a weird connotation so with that color combo. Yeah. <laughs> um, like easy, goth fast fashion Alice. goth. So, um, but like th- these are just so um, elegant and wonderful. And I, and the blue really adds just a little bit of like, I don't know, a little bit of extra energy in there. I really like that subtle change. I'm glad. Mm. Yeah. It was uh I was worried it would be controversial because <laughs> red and black are quite important for playing card readers um, because the black cards in playing card are usually bad. Um, and so that sort of like heaviness of the black card, the spade and the club are, you know, it, it carries over with that. And that's still there with 
the symbology of the spade and the club. Um, but it is, I think, like you said, it's a little bit softened by the blue. Yeah. Yeah. Plus is like my printing brain is always like never black, always darkest gray. So <laughs> it almost doesn't really read it like a blue. If you're not kind of paying attention and you're used to just seeing black, you probably are just not really even going to pay too much attention to mm. it. If you're more of a playing card reader, I'm guessing, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, that's funny that you'd think, oh, there's going to be an uproar in the um, playing card community. Oh, yeah. This no color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are things I think about, too, and then I'm like, no one cares. No one cares. Yep. Nobody cares. <laughs> now back to what we were talking about in the first half. <laughs> exactly. So for people who know the Lenormand cards, um, Lenormand cards, I don't know how to pronounce that word. How do you pronounce I say Lenormand. Okay. Some people say Lenormand. Lenormand, I, yeah. I mean, she's dead. <laughs> anyway. I, don't, I don't think it matters. So good call. There, you you told me this, but the the I think the Lenormand cards are only. I know that a regular playing card deck is fifty two cards because I played fifty two card pickup once where my older cousin. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a fun game, but then I found out it was not. <laughs> so I know a card has fifty two decks. Fifty a deck has fifty two cards. Um. Uh, Lenormand deck has what 34 32 or something 36 okay mm-hmm. so there's some cards that so this is a full playing card deck that you have so you've yep. added cards is that true it's like two through six or something or two through five yeah the twos through fives are new those are not right. part of Lenormand I mean and I should say Lenormand um, they are associated with playing cards with the sixes through kings and aces um, but they're not normally depicted as playing cards it's normally like an inset or they're just totally ignored and i thought that's not fun <laughs> i like playing cards uh, let's make it more fun uh, so then i had to add in or i chose to add in the twos through fives so that i could give it more of a playing card focus or visual uh recognition right for that sort of stealth play if you just want to play cards with them um and bring out the fun of divination and cardomancy. Um, and so I had to figure out like, okay, what would be an appropriate symbol for this suit? Because there are, you know, it's not structured around the playing cards, but they do have playing card suit and number associations. And so I, again, Virgo Moon, wanted to make sense of the structure. Like it's not that people don't talk about it as far as um, I've read in a Norman because that's not the focus, right? It's on these symbols. It's on this different tradition. Um, but I, I figured like, okay, I can, I can see some things that uh, are similar between most of the cards within this suit. So let me focus, like, let me bring that into the twos through fives. And then I had to think, okay, what would be appropriate for the Victorian era where all of these illustrations are from um, and sort of where I was going with the original, like source aesthetics, if you will. Um, and, uh, that's how I came up with what was going to be in each suit. And then I tried to match like, okay, how are the fives working or how are the odd numbers working? How are the even numbers working? What am I bringing from numerology to make sense of like where I want each card to go? Um, and some of them don't fit that. Like the cat is the two of spades and that's solely because the dog is the 10 of hearts. (laughs) So I was like, what's as opposite as I can get, um, in the system that I have. All right, I'm going to go with two of spades, but it it works out, and that helped inform how I would interpret and describe the purpose of that card, um, so that it would fit within sort of my understanding of the systems I was uh, interpreting. Oh, 
so organizational (laughs) makes me so happy (laughs) right well this needs to have a reason how is this gonna work well how's this gonna work well then how is this gonna work yes (laughs) yeah exactly it's delicious it's it's It's, fabulous and so here's the other thing when when cards or when uh decks come with extra cards I love using all of them. Like, unless mm-hmm. I'm doing like a game where that might really screw something up, I suppose. <laughs> uh, if, if I'm doing like divination, I use them all. Like, I want to use all of them, not just like um, like the ones that are actually the cards, but like mm-hmm. I want the one that has like the explanation because oh, really? there's okay. probably <laughs> going to be information on here at some point that I'm going to draw. And one of those words is going to be like really important, especially like next to something else. And also, mm-hmm. you, I was like, well, he needs to be there. Like, this is his deck. He might have some interesting Oh, you mean like the extra, me. extra cards? So extra. Yeah. They're the same, but like, you know, the backs are the same. And I figured, well, I mean, they're probably meant to be in there in certain situations. <laughs> so why waste all that hard work? I won't. Same with those. Any extras, put them in. Put them in. We didn't even talk about the extra ace of hearts that you oh, put in, oh right? Yep. Which have... Yeah, so there, yeah, there are three aces of hearts and three aces of spades to offer a broader representational range, if you will. Um, and also if people say, so in Lenormand, um, the ace of hearts has traditionally been the male significator and the ace of spades is the female significator. And it's, you know, you as the querent, um, and then your primary love interest is sort of the opposite and assumes this heterosexual pairing. Um, I didn't love that. (laughs) Right. Uh, some people, you know, you can like, keep it and just say like all right we figure it out we know what how it works there are cards um somewhat potentially homophobic that can be associated with um sort of homosexual uh, partners um that are not those sort of two ace significators but i thought like well let's have some people who could uh, who are ambiguous in their representation Mm. so they might be non-binary or they might be um you might have uh a you know visibly masculine visibly feminine in the same suit Um, and so you could play with those in in different ways Mm -hmm. so my hope is that people find uh, something close to them if not themselves in one of those six and then someone who they might be find their primary um, romantic partner in the other or if they have more than one primary romantic partner like that's part of reality too so Mm -hmm. why not throw them in um, if you have multiple partners or you know, there are multiple people of interest and you just assign each one because they do look different. Like there's a different image on them. So you weren't confused by saying like, oh, I don't remember which, you know, ace of spades this is. Oh, that's a great idea. Yes, what I, think, I will be using that. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is also cool is your tarot and your Lenormand, Lenormand decks are the same size. So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool to think about throwing one of those ace of hearts into your tarot or like mm-hmm. kind of you could do a little bit of that which is really interesting to think about i just realized in this moment that would be fascinating to do yeah and i um i had thought about going with a different printer for the lenorical um and decided i liked the feel of the tarot cards and i i wanted them to be almost not interchangeable because they do it for different backs uh, but you know so that they could play together um, fairly well and give like a similar or shared experience. I was going to ask about that because one of the card games I do play, because I'm like a hundred year old woman at heart, no offense, uh, is Canasta. 
and you need two decks. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to buy another Lenor or a Lenorical deck. And then I thought, oh, what, duh, hello, I could probably just use the tarot cards that are the, the number cards, just the same. So, all right. I feel like that's you giving me uh, the blessing to do that, right? <laughs> all right. What was the card game you grew up playing, Thomas? Oh, yeah. You asked that uh, when we chatted previously, and I never answered it. Um, so there, the one that sort of sticks out most is a Dutch game called Klofferjassen, uh, which is sort of like a trick um, playing. It's sort of like a Euchre um, situation uh, where there are points based on the like uh, rank or the number associated with it. You don't play with the whole deck. Um and so I, I've always enjoyed those sorts of like four person trick taking games like Euchre, right? That is remembering Euchre. Yeah, that's the game um, I grew yeah. up playing is Euchre. Yeah. Um, Not well known. So, people don't know the game you mentioned. I've never heard of. That's amazing. But yeah. very few people yeah. know the game Euchre as well. Oh, I could not learn. Yeah. Katie. over my head. <laughs> oh, those are very, it's a, Euchre is a very simple game, but Canasta's, I, Canasty. The most difficult game. We call yeah. it, can, we call it Canasty and I can never hold all those cards. Jeez, oh man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I do, know. Do you need a tray for them? Like in bridge? I usually need that little like round thing oh, to yeah, hold yeah. all those. Yeah. Oh, Oh, my mom was like, you just have to handle them. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right. I did. I think I recently learned bridge. Um, it was pre COVID. So like my brain is shot, right? Oh, what are those God. memories anymore? <laughs> like 20 years ago. Uh, right. So I think I, I learned that I may be mis, uh, confusing it with another game, but I just, I enjoyed those kinds of games where they're fast, where there is some sort of like subtle unspoken communication that is going through the cards, right. Where you're, you're collaborating with like a silent other essentially. Mm. Um, and so, I don't know. That's fun. It, there's collaboration. There's competitiveness. Uh, <laughs> some mm. conflict. Uh, my sister and I actually played spit a lot growing up. Um, so that's the two person, like very fast. Uh, you know, you you like each play cards on top of each other, and then you like slap a pile at a certain point. I sort of forgotten the rules at this point. Um, gin rummy uh, was really big. Uh, rummy is really big. Yeah. I always forget, like, there's gin, there's gin rummy, and then there's rummy, and two of them are the same. Oh, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think gin rummy is the same as gin. Yeah. And then we play, we yeah. play a progressive rummy, a type of progressive rummy that's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, so these card games you grew up with was part of the inspiration for your decks, right? That was a. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so, like, we talked about in the first half, right? Like, cards themselves are games and tarot cards were card games originally right and so bringing in that fun and that lightheartedness because a lot of tarot work is very heavy and it can be very heavy or it can be taken overly seriously um, sometimes it should be taken seriously right like you're digging into heavy stuff but you know it's not all like doom and gloom all the time yes. right you're bringing that lantern into the darkness you're bringing a little light with you and so by having them be playing cards you know part of it was um i wanted to inspire like invoke that that feeling of fun encourage people to have a little bit um more appreciation of like the lightheartedness as well as the heavy you know 
deep dark work that you can be doing as well on yourself. Um, and then the other part was, you know, I wanted people to like take them on the go. So they're smaller, um, they're bridge size. Uh, and you know, they're a hardier, just sort of like playing card stock. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, if I ding it, it's going to like the gold foil is going to flake off, which I, I have a lot of sort of what I call ritual decks, right. Where they have all the bells and whistles, like I'm not taking them to a coffee shop because I'm going to spill coffee on them. Whereas I've spilled coffee on my Lenorco and I don't care. Like it doesn't affect how I read them, uh, because they are meant to be a little bit, you know, more, uh, quick and quick and dirty. Mm. Yeah. less precious encouraging mm-hmm. you to actually use them yes <laughs> right right yeah i'm i'm the kind of person who had to get over like collecting things as to not use them for the wrong purpose and thus waste them like stickers <laughs> I, when i get stickers now i'm like okay i have to use this immediate immediately otherwise it will sit on a shelf for years so yeah. um so yeah it's i love that well i think about the tradition of the Christmas holiday stems from Saturnalia in part from Saturnalia in ancient Rome when games playing games was part of it. That was a big part of it. Right. And we also think about Northern Europe when people were stuck inside in these snowy times and, you know, socked in with the winter time in this dark time of the year that we're approaching in December, that is part of what the holidays are for is this time of enjoying ourselves. And we get often to get so stressed out with, family and holidays and obligations. And this is a time to bring some play, bring some of that light from that lantern into the darkness, right? And I really love this idea. So let's give everyone some magical tips on how they can avoid the current post-COVID supply chain tangle. So first, if you can find it in a store in person, just go ahead and buy it because if it's near you and you can access it and you can buy it, like that's going to be better than, you know, waiting for somebody to come, you know, in the mail or from what we can see. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about like, wherever you can, you know, source your things at whatever like level of, you know, um, you're able to do that, you know, go for it. But what are some of the things that, you know, don't require a supply chain is digital gifts. (laughs) So, and also digital gifts, right? Mm -hmm. So Thomas, what are some of the things you offer that people can purchase? Like, can people purchase a gift certificate or can they, can I give the gift of you? This Mm. is the the title of our show. (laughs) Oh, yes. can I give the gift of Thomas to someone? Yes. Uh, How do I do that? At the time of airing this episode, you will be able to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had gift certificates set up for a little while on my shop, and then I just sort of, it was no longer the holiday season, and I just took them down. Um, so you can gift um, a reading. So I uh, typically do video readings, like live 30 minute or 60 minute readings, depending on sort of the depth or number of topics that someone wants to go into. Um, and you can gift that uh, just by getting the gift certificate and then they can use it on my website store. Um, alternatively, uh, you could gift someone a um, past life ancestral or um, inner child reading, but they have to, like it's a gift certificate that they have to choose to use because I will not 
give a reading to someone who has not explicitly asked me for a reading because I have done that in the past and it is a terrible idea. Like that's right. The wrong things uh, can be communicated or someone may not be ready for those things. Um, and they certainly didn't give you consent uh, or even if they have given you consent, you know, they may feel pressured to have done so. So it may be sort of like a reluctant consent. Right. Um, and that can really like mess up the intention of the gift and like your own reading experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to use it. Like it's a gift certificate that they then use. I will not let someone like buy a reading for someone else directly. So it's, it's almost equivalent, but it is different. And then I have um, digital workbook a digital workbook, um, Awaken the Court Cards. I have a book that's currently printing on Amazon and it's on Kindle, um, which we can dive into details or folks can read those show notes um, either way. And then uh, um, uh, I have a self-paced uh, class, um, introductory, like an intensive introduction to tarot called Read Tarot Like a Nerd. Um, and then uh, I su- suppose someone could uh, get a gift certificate and then use it on one of my upcoming live classes. Um, so those would all be sort of like digital, no, no supply chain issue, um, ways of supporting my work. Um, I'm curious about you all though. And giving the gift of Thomas sounds amazing. <laughs> sounds a little yes. bit dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, whatever the selling angle is. Subscribe to my OnlyFans. But I love it. (laughs) All right. I do not have one. Uh, (laughs) Also, he he feels compelled to tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Katie, Katie, what is you? How do I give the gift of Katie this holiday season? Oh, well, you know, uh, eventually I'm going to have this Patreon situation going, but I don't know if that's going to happen before the end of the year. So uh, if that's not the case by the. Oh, uh, but that was an amazing preview, everybody. That's right. Newsletter. Everybody pressure Katie to start her (laughs) Patreon. (laughs) That's right. There's just so many great things that I have. I'm just not going to let you guys have. Yes. Um, but right now, uh, you can always give the gift of a digital pattern uh, to perhaps one of your knitting friends or for yourself. You can go right on Ravelry and buy it for them. It's a nice gift to have in your little inbox. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you want to buy the pattern and then make it and give it to someone as a gift, as a made gift, that is the nicest gift of all, your handmade love. So uh, what about you, Jim? Um, nothing. I have nothing to, no, I'm, t- I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Only um, for an exclusive few. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have gift cards. So you can buy a divine hand gift card off my website at the divinehand.com. And then that you can actually set it up to deliver like on a holiday or on a birthday. So it'll show oh. up in someone's email box mm. on that day and be like, you have the gift of a palm reading. It's really, really cute how uh, the whole system does that and then exactly as thomas is saying people have to choose to use it um i will not pester people and some people are like ah so you should give it to someone who takes the agency to use it if people feel pressured to get a reading it doesn't usually work out um but yeah it's really fabulous i've only ever had that happen once in my entire 34 years that someone was like not into having a reading. And if they're not, we can transfer it to someone else. It's fine. We'll figure it out. Um, so yeah, you can give the gift of a palm reading. Um, uh, that's mainly the things that I do. And I do offer courses. Um, 
And I'm not really using, I guess you could use a gift card for that too. I'll probably be able to use a gift card for anything that I sell on my website or do. We can figure that out. So it's a lot, it's a lot of fun uh, to do that. And the experience, the cool thing about all three of us for everybody is this is an experience when you give someone an experience. So why is this magic? Why is this gifting magic? Magic is an act of transformation. In my opinion, magic transforms the condition. It takes something that was and turns it into something that is, or moves the changes, the potential of something. Right. And so when you get a reading from Thomas, when you take yarn and turn it into a scarf, when you have a reading from me, this is something magical because the experience of that, you were, you did have something happening and now you have more knowledge. You have a different experience that happened after. That is super magical. That experience stays with that person for a long time. It's magical. Mm -hmm. When you give that gift of magic, wow, that's transformational. It's really amazing. So there's just nothing like it, right? And what an amazing, innovative thing to find, to print that out even and put it in someone's stocking or, you know, wrap it in a gift or, or something like that. It's so much fun to do. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to dust it. You don't have to worry about like giving someone a gift that like doesn't fit or has to be returned or you have to give them a picture of it and be like, it'll be here in three weeks right. or so the supply chain told <laughs> me. Slash six months. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. It's so. a great way to stitch together experiences with your friends. <gasps> Probably you're not going to just like have one reading and be like, okay, the end, never thinking or talking about that again. Hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you're probably going to have that last with you for a while. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> a deeply personal experience. I'm going to have a reading with Thomas. It's going to be a private personal experience that I was gifted that Katie gave me as a gift. I'm not, just laying a hint. And then I'm going to remember that. And it's, you know what I mean? I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to have like, wow, that was such an amazing thing that I'm going to have for my whole year. Right. What a cool thing. Right, Katie? Absolutely. Definitely. No. Hold on. I'm <laughs> clicking through right <laughs> waiting, now. Waiting. Right. So visa starts. Oh. <laughs> okay. So here's what we want to do today. We do an Oracle draw. Yes. Every episode. Mm-hmm. So what it, we're going to use, we're going to use, which one do you want to use, Katie? Oh, the Lenoracle, perhaps? Huh? Oh, I thought we were going to use the Lifeline Tarot. Oh, either one. That's fine, too. But, we can do that. Yeah. Let's use yeah, Lifeline let's Tarot. All right. All right. Da, da, da. Do you want to use yours? Do we all want to pull one? And oh, do yeah. Like a let's all pull one. And do like a three-card put together? Yeah, I'm shuffling. That'll be fun. I can hear. You can hear the riffle. Ooh, it's yeah. ASMR. That's right. Oh, I always try to do the uh, the flip like my mom. Oh, the bridge? It's yeah. It's with 80 cards. Yeah. The <laughs> Lenoracle, like no 54. problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Slow cool <laughs> Halfway. And then it's like, yeah. done. Yes. <laughs> All right. One more. One more Is there an, an area that we're looking into or just like whatever people need to hear? Yeah, usually it's like sort of our forecast for the week ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about the week ahead. <gasps> yes. Mm. All right. I like this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
I like mine. <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> I like mine. Mine's solid. Are we all going to show at the same time? Yeah. All right. Sure. Three, two, one. Oh. Oh my. Interesting. <laughs> all right. So Jim pulled the labyrinth. I have the lovers. And Thomas, what was yours again? Oh, uh, two of ones. ones. Ooh. All right. So if I was putting this together in a story arc for our uh, all of us collectively for a week oh, wait, ahead. I know how to do it. Oh, yeah, do it. Let's tell a story and let's have Thomas, you're our guest. Would you mind telling the story of this? Mm. Of the three cards? Yeah. Would you give us a little sample of like, tell us a quick little story of these three cards? Oh, yeah. A little preview. Of so awesome what I services. thought of. Uh, what I thought of instantly with these three cards um, is a, you know, that there is this important decision that needs to be made. And, you know, you want to uh, balance between sort of your inner voice and your outer voice. But what's sort of missing is this bigger journey to like, to understand from almost like a metaphysical outer voice to see like, okay, not just, I need to raise up from the the perspective of the labyrinth and look down and see everything and make like a logical decision, but I need to be a little bit braver and push even beyond that and sort of like mm. take up the position of the angel and the lovers and, and enjoy that like mystical journey, almost like an astral travel kind of a situation that will, or a dream uh, that will help me actually make the decision that, that has been weighing on me for the last, I don't know, few weeks, perhaps or months. Mm, beautiful so i don't know reflection. if this is for you katie with your patreon <laughs> maybe you're gonna have some dreams about it oh i can't wait <laughs> this reading is actually for everyone listening so think about how that reading applies to you and what's mm. going on in your life and that's pretty awesome what mm. a beautiful interpretation thomas i love hearing how you just roll through that your style of reading is so beautiful effortless again just so natural and quick yeah right oh, yeah. yeah oh must be because you're so amazing at it and yeah. very skilled <laughs> years and years of practice that's right exactly yes. you didn't just is... wake up one day and know how to knit super fast that's crazy <laughs> i have actually never knitted i've crocheted and it was heinous uh, I made a, a Harry Potter style scarf. Uh, and it was I never so recommend ragged. a scarf as anybody's first project. It's too long and tedious. Ugh, yeah. Well, maybe we can get you to come over to the fiber side yeah. at some point. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I could pick up we'll, you know, one of your we'll digital hook him. gift packs. There you go. It's a great way to use a sigil too on your making. Just saying. Well, wonderful. this has been an amazing episode. Thank mm -hmm. you, Thomas, for your generosity and your time and your wisdom. It's yes. been so great hanging with you. You can find Thomas on his website. Hermitsmere.com. Thomas, you have a newsletter, right? Yeah. So I send out a newsletter every month. Um, there's almost always a discount code in it, which is sometimes the only reason people read it, but it gives a little synopsis of the last month, what I've been up to, um, any new services or upcoming courses, that sort of thing. Um, I tend, or at least this year, my lesson for this year was release, <laughs> right? Release all expectations about planning things. Um, because a bunch of things are coming that you're not going to be able to 
uh, you're not going to want to like put on hold just because of some pre-existing plan. Um, so I tend not to like my, uh, my courses that I'm going to be offering in January and February. I don't, well, by the time you're listening to this, I should have an actual date, but, uh, I, I will announce that via newsletter for sure. Um, the February one, I won't have a date yet, even when you're listening to this. Um, so if you get on the newsletter, you will find out when I will be offering that court card class. Um, but yeah, I, you know, if there's a, like a, a special deal that I'm announcing, like um, the, the double decker mm. deal, if you want both the Terra and the Lenoracle deck, like when that came out, I made sure to announce that on the newsletter. You know, I don't bombard you with a bunch of stuff. It's usually just once a month. Um, or if there's something special, like a surprise book launch, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure to send a newsletter about that too. Very good. Gems worth have a, opening. Yeah, totally mm-hmm. worth it. You also have a great Instagram, Hermit's Mirror, at Hermit's Mirror on Instagram. We love following you there. Um, it's awesome. So mm-hmm. definitely check him out on all of those places. And you can check out Katie, her website, lightfromlantern.com. You can find links to her patterns, which are on Ravelry. Um, and all of the goings on, subscribe to her newsletter, which is an awesome newsletter. Katie is, of course, aces and amazing. Oh. So it's fabulous to check her out, too. Well, it takes one to know one, Jim. You can find more about James Divine at thedivinehand.com, where you can get your uh, gift certificates, of course, um, available in all sorts of sizes, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Only you know, extra large. There you no, go. That's the best size. <laughs> um, and all of his courses, and plus also his great newsletter, which is always filled with little gems. Um, I love opening that one too i must say so yeah uh make sure to check them out and make sure to join us next week when we will be back with another exciting episode yay yay well thanks everyone thanks for listening and we'll see you you next time thank you thank you thomas thank you all right everybody we'll see you again next week bye all thanks for listening everybody and don't forget new episodes of knit a spell are conjured every wednesday learn more at knitaspell.com and follow our instagram page at knit a spell if you have a quick second to support the show feel free to drop us a review on itunes or share this with a friend jim and i appreciate your support and look forward to seeing you next week